Welcome back to the Blue Corner. My name is Dennis and this week we're going to try something a little different. Um, I've decided to bring the sexy back and there's only one guest that comes to mind. <laughs> He's the owner, the founder and head coach of Australian Kickboxing Academy. He's also one of the most renowned referees on the national circuit and he also refs for the UFC, of course. Um when he's not doing that in his spare time, he likes to, uh, you know, travel the world and do a little bit of modelling. But I'm talking about <laughs> none other than Jim Perdius himself. How have you been and how have you been spending this lockdown period? Oh, wow. What an intro. Thanks, Stigger. Uh, I've been great. What a, what a warm winter. I'm usually away this time of year, uh, training, uh, learning a bunch of new techniques. Um, but here we are with our borders closed and um, I'm grateful for it. I've been having fun. And it's kind of funny because you say it's a, it's a warm winter. Mm. I'm absolutely freezing my <laughs> ass off. Um, but yeah, I, I, I see you've been spending a lot of time swimming in waters and stuff <laughs> like you, you've been going jet skiing, you, you've been going to some sort of secluded waterfall. I don't know, even know where it is. Yeah. Um, is that how you normally spend your winters? <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm usually not here for winter. Uh, picked that hobby up during COVID. Um, been abseiling, shout out to Christian and the boys. Um, got a, got a kit, got, uh, got taught, taught how to abseil. Um, had a few accidents along the way. A few scary ones, but um, it's uh, it's fun. Gets the uh, it's, it gets the adrenaline pumping, and um, I've been enjoying it. So, connecting with nature, I've been loving it actually. And when you say you've had some accidents along the way, what <laughs> what, what kind of accidents are we talking about? Flipping upside down, smashing smashing on the rocks. Um, I hit my glute um, a few weeks ago, which uh, gave me a sore back last week actually. Um, a few scary ones. So I've got some videos that I'm not allowed to post, but uh, maybe maybe one day. Okay. And, uh, and and where where do you go abseiling? Is it like down Wollongong Way or is it down uh, Blue Mountains? Or yeah, where? Belmore Falls. Uh, there, there's quite a few. Macquarie Pass. It's all south mainly. Um, there's a few in the Blue, Blue Mountains as well, but um, all around New South Wales. They're all in our backyard. And, and to be honest with you, I didn't have a clue. Okay. And well, you found yourself a new hobby. So mm. you, you're going to go from fighter to coach <laughs> to, to ref to now extreme sports. The thrill seeker. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so obviously... Um, you know, I was talking to you before the podcast about like uh, I assumed you, you have you know quite a few fights along the way, and um, but when I did my little searches, I, I, I found nothing. Mm -hmm. um, so on where yeah. on purpose? Yeah. Um, so where where you know when when did you start picking up? I guess the sport of kickboxing because you you just deal with kickboxing, right? No, I started in MMA actually. So kickboxing MMA um, in 2006. Um, fought many, many times. I had 22, 24 fights. Um, combination of Muay Thai, kickboxing, um, mixed martial arts, pancreations. Some of them were MMA fights without head punches. Um, amateurs, that's what was, what was around in, in New South Wales at the time. Um even had a Taekwondo fight in Melbourne because it was a free trip. Um, but stopped fighting young. So started at the age of 17, stopped fighting at about 20, 21. Um, kept training, traveling the world, training with the best guys on the planet. Um, got an invite to try out for the Ultimate Fighter in 2013, which a lot of people don't know. Um, didn't make it. And then I decided, that's it, I'm done. I'm going to put all my, all my concentration into coaching and into um, officiating. So... That's uh, late two thousand, so September two thousand thirteen. I tried out for the Ultimate Fighter. Um, this November, December two thousand thirteen, I picked up being a referee, and I uh, haven't looked back. 
So with the with the Ultimate Fighter, like, what was that experience like? Like, is there a lot of people that try out for that? Like, obviously, you see the uh, little bits of the the tryouts during during the series, but like, what from from your end, what was that experience like? Um, Nerve wracking. Everyone everyone turns up. You're put in gray a uh, gray rash guard, gray shorts. Looks like you're going to prison. Um, Even though prison is orange, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Gray, gray, gray is the new orange. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, we get put in a room. Um, first round is to grapple against you know a random opponent uh, for five minutes. Then you got to um, hit pads and strike, and then they want to see uh, how 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 well you present it on camera. So that was uh, quite a nerve wracking process. I actually didn't have a pro record, so I didn't have a, a chance of uh, entering that house. Um, so not too sure why I got the invite. But um, I was there, had fun, it was a great experience. Um, realized that that wasn't the path I was going to take, and um, yeah, didn't look back. That's um, it was actually a good thing. So the reason you got the invite, I'll just say now, is because of your profile on camera, right? I mean, <laughs> going, going, going back to your modelling career, but uh, they thought this guy could, you know, I mean, um, but like, who who do they send for those tryouts? Is it some of the head honchos, or do they have like scouts, or how how does that all work? Yeah, it was Joe Silver at the time, who was a UFC matchmaker. Um, a few others. I'm, I wasn't. I'm not too sure of their names. Um, and then you had a few high profile coaches at the time to um, guide people through pad work and and obviously the rolling stages and yeah, narrow down the uh, the uh, criteria for uh, making the, making the next round. Okay, and so let's let's take it back. What originally got you into combat sports? Mm. And and I only ask this, and um, and it's because I've had the privilege to to actually visit your academy, mm-hmm. and there's a picture up on the wall. Yeah. Um, and we'll get to that picture. I mean, one yeah. one, one thing uh, I'd like to ask about that picture is is that um, for your members, mm-hmm. so they can kind of see, or is it just a stark reminder? Of, uh, for yourself as well I actually didn't want that picture up um, It was one of our members that um, Really pushed it and um, Shout out to you Kylie for putting that picture up on the wall um, She wanted to share uh, To everyone where I started You know, um, obviously I've come I've come a pretty long way um, You've I'll come a long way, I'll, I'll be the first to say when, when, when I Walked into your academy And I saw that picture on the wall I didn't even realise it was you mm. Right, no, and, not many people and, do it. and it was Tani that turned around and goes, "That's Jim," mm. and I'm like, "No, it's not." Mm. And after a while, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm like, "Man, it is," and 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 that's what I'm saying. Like, it is like so. It is a massive transformation. Mm. Like, it really is, and that, and that's why I say, like, for me, it's a, it's a good thing having it there. And as I say, I, just, I I I don't know if it was for yourself, as in like, as I just mentioned, to remind yourself how far you've come along. Or just for your members. I mean, it, it's inspiring. It it's, really is. It's more for my members um, to show people that no matter where you are in life, um, you can you can achieve whatever you put your mind to. Um, doesn't matter doesn't matter where you start from. You know, everyone's everyone everyone starts from from everyone everyone starts somewhere. But um, that your past di- doesn't dictate your future. You know, you can be a victim of your past or a master of your future, and the decisions you make and the choices you make um, in your life will. Will dictate where you where, where you become where sorry where you go. So um yeah I was so going back to that picture I was very overweight. Um I was a beast I was a beast my whole life. Um, I was picked on I was bullied in high school. Um and in my late teens I made the decision that I wasn't going to live the rest of my life that way. I knew my twenties were coming up. Um I wanted to be strong. I wanted to be fit. Um I wanted to 
taking take control of my whole life. Take control of my life, I should say. Um, yeah, not get bullied anymore. And um, that's when I made the decision to start martial arts, start my journey. 2006, I was 17 years old. Lost 35 kilos. Damn. Mm. It was a lot of weight. Um, and then um, haven't looked back. Uh, kept push, started fighting um, from one goal to another. Then I started coaching. And then um, I've made my my purpose in life. Um, my my the quote I always say is changing the lives of others like I changed my own. You know? And now with my academy, um, many of our coaches, they've also lost weight. You know, they've transformed their lives. So now it's changing the lives of others like we change our own. Um, and I won't stop. Um, it's just the beginning. I can't wait to see where, where the future holds, what the future holds. Um, and um, the future's bright. I, I can't wait. So we're just gaining momentum. Um, it's, it's getting more and more powerful as uh, every, every year goes on. Um, it's become a real family community and everyone pushes each other. It's a, it's a phenomenal martial arts environment. So. And, and when you say with the beginning of martial arts, was that more to do with the weight issue yeah. or, or you just mentioned that you got bullied a lot? So was it more to do with learning a self-defense or, or, or something like that? What, what was your actual first initial reasoning behind wanting to take up a martial art? It, it was a weight issue. Um, I wanted to lose the weight first. Then I realized I'm enjoying this stuff, you know, punching, kicking. I wanted to put my skills to the test. I had my first fight after four months um, and I won. Um, and then the rest is history after that. Just kept just kept fighting, and, and obviously no one's bullied me since. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was definitely a weight issue in the beginning. So, And it's just been an evolution and transformation process ever since. So bit by bit, step by step, new goal by new goal. Um, you achieve one, set a new one. And set that bar higher and higher. And, and obviously um, Australian Kickboxing Academy, um, when did that all come about? Um, you know, and I always ask, like, what what was your uh, thought process behind naming it Australian Kickboxing Academy? Um, in in the sense of, you know, a lot a lot of people. I mean, I had Tiago the other the other week, and he he was talking about legacy is because he wanted to leave a legacy, and you know things like that. So, you know, um, when when you pluck a name out of the sky, I I always like to kind of like, you know, ask. What the reasoning is and, 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 and why that name kind of like sticks to you. I opened up the Australian Kickboxing Academy in 2015 at the age of 25. Um, I became a personal trainer at the age of 20. Um, the name then was Vitalized Fitness and Personal Training. Um, cool name, just didn't stick with me. Um, I did a lot of personal development courses in my early 20s um, and they really emphasize on, on your identity and, and what do you want people to know, know you as. Um, and I have a goal to be the best striking coaches in the world. Um, so kickboxing, that, that word kickboxing had to be in the name. Um, obviously, we're from Australia, um, and it's not just a gym. You know, It is an academy, it's a family, so Australian, kick on, Australian kickboxing academy made, made sense. Okay, and so when you say you want to become the best coach in Australia or even globally, mm. um, I, I always wonder, um, you know, like do you – even though you you are the head coach, like how do you keep progressing? Like, um, I mean, obviously you say normally you'd be away right now. Um, I know you travel a lot, um, but what do you, for for a head coach? What what is like your way of of progression? I travel the world twice a year. Um, I train and study under the best coaches and gyms on the planet. Um, pick their brain, um, share knowledge, 
and um, constant, yeah, constantly involved that way. Um, obviously, we we live in a phenomenal age of um, technology, so there's a lot of techniques and whatnot online available as well. I do prefer face to face a lot more, um, but constantly studying. You know, striking, being a coach, um, it's not what I do; it's who I am. You know, so just be becoming obsessed, absolutely obsessed in um, in, in in studying technique, breaking down um, fundamentals and basics and and, um, and strategies and and, and um, getting yeah, getting my fighters and, and teaching them those those techniques and strategies and helping them become the best versions of, of themselves. Now, when you say we're in we're in this world of online um, information, mm. uh, obviously we've we've had a pandemic. Um, yes, I, I would assume that your gym had to close for a certain amount of time. Did you go down the whole you know Zoom class mm. route? Um, how did you find that experience of of you know teaching your students on an online kind of platform rather than that face to face or that physical kind of? Um it was fun. It was fun. It was challenging. Yeah, we did we did our Zoom online classes. It was fun. It was challenging, um, but geez, it doesn't. It just can't replace face to face training. You know, just seeing the the, the sweat, the tears, the emotion, pushing people face to face. It's just different. It's just different. And for a kickboxing academy, I have to ask, you've got that big mural on your wall uh, of the great Muhammad Ali. Yes. Why not a kickboxer? Why a uh, boxer? Because he's the greatest of all time, that's why. <laughs> um, he lived for... Um, he was a lot more than just a boxer. You know, he is, uh, he's, an, he's an inspiration. So couldn't think of anyone else. First person that came to mind, that's a, that's a person you should put up on that wall, and that was Muhammad Ali. Okay. And uh, now that we're kind of like coming out of, of the lockdown, or we, we did for a little while, um, you know, wh- was there any precautions that you had to take when you would reopen the doors? Like, because I know some some people have had different methods of how they do it. Um, you know, uh, I mean, I've obviously had uh, two Tiagos on, on before and one was like, you know, we're going to go back to full contact, but I'm going to match uh, people up on a weekly basis so they share the same partner for the full week to try to prevent. Where I know Tiago down here was kind of like, we're going to start off with non-contact drilling. So every everyone's got kind of the method and I think it's because the government really hasn't really given us that much um, guidance on how things should be done. They were just like either close your doors, open your doors, you know, 10 yeah. people, 20 people, but they haven't really given us any sort of guidance. So when it was time to reopen the doors, how did you, like, what was your method to the madness, I guess? Well, it started before we reopened our doors. We were allowed uh, outdoor classes. So we did that. We moved them out to the park and we did circuit training. So uh, there was no contact in the beginning. Once we did reopen our doors, um, it was back to normal. Um, obviously, things had changed. We had disinfectant stations and everyone wipes it with their gear down before and after. Our academy is, in my opinion, one of the cleanest out there Anyway, but um, even that got uh, cleaned more, you know, so everything got scrubbed down and, and disinfected more but, um, and, and people's equipment just a lot more and, and, and that's it, you know, just make, making, a, making a note of telling people, you know, obviously you're sick, stay home. Um, they don't have to shake hands or do high fives after class like we usually do. It's up to them um, and that's pretty much it. And now... Uh, have you had to introduce um, a COVID marshal? Is that, does that affect uh, martial arts academies or is that just more for, I guess, your fitness first and stuff? Like, have you had to implement uh, uh, a COVID marshal? Not yet. Not no? yet. So I hope I don't have to go down that path like those um, those big gyms. So 
fingers crossed we don't have to do that, but let's see how we go. As long as we uh, stay out of lockdown, I'm happy. Well, that was going to be my next thing, right? So I, I, I think we're, we're on two different beliefs right now on, on, on <laughs> the kind of track that we're going. So when, when it comes to a potential other lockdown, um, A, do you think it's going to happen? And I, I guess B, like, are you prepared for a second lockdown? I don't think it's going to happen, to be honest with you. I'm, obviously, I don't want it to happen. Um, our numbers are pretty low. Um, I feel sorry for all my all my friends and family in Melbourne, especially the ones that have gyms over there. Um, shout out to all you guys. You're going to get out of it. You will get out of it. Um, and you'll be stronger than ever. Um, I hope it doesn't happen here. If it does, we'll worry about it then. So no point worrying about anything before it happens. Just deal with it as it comes. Okay. See, so where I, I, I totally feel like we are um, going to follow melbourne and it's just a belief i have and 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 the only reason is is once again i i just find that the government i just find that they're really doing everything on a like a knee-jerk basis right so like it's uh, uh, you know as i say to people like i mean if we need to lock down why are we locking down next sunday why not now because between now and next sunday at 200 passengers coming up from melbourne every single day it kind of you know, it, it just opens the doors for for a disaster. And, and I, I just find, like, that's how Melbourne kind of started. They they started off with 20 cases, then it moved up, and then, you know, three weeks later they're looking at 600-plus cases a day. And, and I just think that if we're not careful, you know, what's stopping us from, from having these kind of outbreaks? It's – I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know. I, as I say, I'm on a totally different belief. I, I, I definitely, 100%, I don't want to go to another lockdown. I mean, I'm over here crying that we need to reopen because my better half, obviously, is is overseas. Um, and I can't wait for the day that they open international borders, let alone national borders. So everything in, in my heart wants us to remain open and even more so open even further. Um but it's just worrying. Yeah, I. The scary thing about this is, is um, no one really knows what, what they're doing. No one knows what's going on. Um, you can't blame the politicians. Goodness, can you imagine being in their shoes right now? How would you deal with it? It's never happened before. Um, it's it's a tough scenario. It's it really is. I can't wait for the day. I can't wait till it all boils over as well. So. But, you know, like, you can't, you can't blame the politicians, but I think sometimes, like, you know, it's, it's weird. Like, they need to, like, sit back and really think about things, right? Because, I mean, it's the whole, like, I was having this discussion yesterday about the JobKeeper payment, right? And it's, mm. it's like they had this knee-jerk, once again, a knee-jerk reaction. All right, we'll give everyone this, this, this stimulus. Yep. And then it comes out later that, like, some people are actually making more on the JobKeeper than, than they were Right before, because it was just a a, um, a standard payment, so it didn't matter if you're a part time employee, a full time employee. So some people were losing, but then some people were actually like, "I'm making more money sitting at home," right? And then all of a sudden, that creates its own problems, or you know, like where they were like, um, "You can ask for rental assistance," right? But they didn't actually put anything in place, no. and then all of a sudden, like people are asking for rental assistance, and their landlords are going, "Well, no." Right, and then it created tension between the landlords and and uh, tenants, and the government's like, "Well, you guys figure it out." And it's yeah. like, "Well, hang on, 
hang on, you you literally just made this happen, you know? And and I, I guess the one that really fired me up was, um, and I wish I remember what minister it was, but like he came, he was on the news and he was like, he said something like, um, if your business doesn't survive this lockdown, maybe you're in the wrong business or something to that kind wow. of... You know, and, and, and I thought, hang on a sec, because it was when the whole debate was, you know, do we extend the JobKeeper or not? And and that's what he came out and said. And I was like, and, and that's the first time, like, because I don't really get into politics, but that was the first time it, that it really hit me. And the reason being is I was like, hey, hang on, you're living off taxpayers' money. Mm-hmm. Let's get that straight, Absolutely. right? If you're a politician, like, we're paying your wage. So maybe you need to be in another job. This is my my theory. And then the other thing is, like, Yes, people needed to figure out ways to make their their business sustainable. But when there's certain businesses, gyms included, where they're saying you have to lock your doors, right? Yeah. It, it, it's not like, like right now when they're like, look, you can have your doors open, but you have to abide to social distancing, blah, blah, blah. Yes, you need to make that work somehow. But during those periods where they're saying you have to lock your doors, you can't open, or you face massive fines and stuff. How can you then turn around in the same phrase and go, well, if your business doesn't survive, right? Absolutely. It, I, I just thought that that's kind of crazy. So as much as I, I, I agree, like the politicians, this is all new territory to them, but I think sometimes I wish they just thought about, A, what they said, and, and two, like when they implement some of these things that they think about it before they do it and then like kind of like try to backpedal all of their decisions, right? I don't think anyone had anyone had time to think about it, Stinger. Um, it just happens so fast, you know. So they had to they had to make some sort of a decision on you know, how much people are getting paid and you know, fifteen hundred dollars a month was was the amount. And there you go. It just had to happen it happened so fast and um, yeah, had, had many people worried about me. Um, obviously being closed, we're closed for three months and People were asking me, you know, do you think you'll survive? And I said, there's no chance on, on earth that I won't. You know, but that's how committed I am to it. So I think for some people that, that did shut, I think perhaps they were looking for a way out and COVID was it. Um, for some people, yeah, it's, it's challenging, you know, if you, don't, you know. if you don't have enough savings, if you haven't saved, or if you, if, even more so if you've just started a business. You know, if we were in year one, you know, our academy has been open for five and a half years. If we were in year one, it'd be tough. <laughs> It'd be really tough when, you're, when you've taken on a lot of debt and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, for a politician to come out and say something like that is absolutely outrageous. But, you know, that's politicians for you. As I said, that was the first time. Like, the rest of it I'm kind of, like, on the sideline about. And as you say, like, I totally agree. I'm like, well, you know, they're doing the best that they can. Yeah. But that and, – and as I say, I wish I remember who he was, like, the name, because he was the one guy that really got under my skin because I was like, hey, yeah, hang on yeah. a sec. You know, yep. uh, how how about taxpayers stop paying money? You don't have a wage, and you look for a new job. You know, like that that, that was just kind of the way I felt about it. But um, talking about having time to think, I mean, obviously, um, you know, the 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 other thing that you do and you do really well is uh, the refing side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we'll start. We'll get it out there uh, <laughs> straight away. Um, <laughs> you you obviously refed my my fight from the blue corner what a fight um it, it, it was probably 
one of the highlights of my life. And, it was one of the highlights and, of mine too. And I was about to say it was definitely a highlight of your life. And, and I've um, had some big ones, you know. And I definitely had some time to think because, you know, granted, I got I got hit with an illegal blow and I, I had a little time to think and, and, and I came out the other end. Um, but yeah, like we, with the refing, I, I, I got to say, and, and only because, um, you know, you you ref for multiple organisations. Um, first and foremost, uh, by the time your refing career is done, do you feel like you're going to try to at least ref for every organisation? And I mean, I mean that in the sense of obviously you've you've done pretty much all the uh, circuits on the national level. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned in the intro, you're you're a USC ref. Yes. Um, once again, it's 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 that camera thing with with your face. I, I knew that. <laughs> I that's why that, I got in right. I knew straight away that <laughs> that they they were going for that angle, because um, I'll always put you have with you some. My, of, have you seen my signature wink though? Well, <laughs> I, I was actually going to ask you about that, right? So, uh, but we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, but you know, like, do you, do you, by the time you're done, do you, do you think you'll also pick up uh, a Bellator, or a One FC, a, a, a Risen? Like, do you, do you, do you want to do that, or it, or that's not uh, absolutely? I, I hope so. Um, all the major organisations in the world. I want to referee the best fights in the world um, consistently, consistently, and um, and I believe it will come true. So time will tell, but um, I'll get there. And what made you originally go down that path? I mean, obviously we, we just spoke about you starting in mixed martial arts and then obviously you, you wanted to become that coach, but what made you go, you know what, I want to become a ref? I got into it in 2009, I actually had a um, I had a fight. I lost. I wanted to take some time off. Um, officiating course came around. We had two Nevada officials come in, in late two thousand nine. Um, Charlie Anzalone and Chris Dognoni. Um, they did a great course. Um, and then that led me to officiate. I started off as a locker room inspector. That was a ex MMA show. Kelly, C. is that just where they sign off on the gloves? Is that it? Or that's right. You know, you walk the fighters out into the cage, uh, make sure there's no cheating involved, no no Vaseline being being applied anywhere, and uh, or liniment oils and things like that. Um, so I started off as a locker room inspector. Yeah, make sure their hand, hands are wrapped correctly. Um, nothing illegal going on over there. Um, so XMMA came down. That was a Melbourne promotion. Uh, they did three shows in Sydney. I um, I worked all three. Um. And then I didn't get much work until, geez, 2014. Um, then I threw myself out there. I actually got in contact. Uh, it was actually at the, at the end of 2013. I emailed every single sanctioning body in New South Wales. And I said, I don't have much refereeing experience. I had a little bit. I did a few few local uh, open mat shows, uh, pancreation shows. Some were um, amateur MMA with headgear. Um, in 2011, 2012, I didn't have much experience, but I knew I could do it. I just, I just knew I had it in me to be, be become a um, a really good referee, and I knew the state needed it. Um, we we didn't have many um, many good referees at the time, um, so I emailed every single sanctioning body um, in the state, and I got hired by all of them. So in 2014, I actually worked 38 shows that year. It's almost every weekend. Um, I remember driving to Newcastle. You know, you drive, it's a two-hour drive, six hours work, two-hour drive back for, I don't know, 100 bucks. Um, but I loved it. I loved it and I, um, and I didn't stop. So that's the journey I took with, um, 
with officiating, and then in late 2014, the UFC came to Sydney. Um, I wanted to referee it, but I got a, I got him, I got hired as a judge, um, and that was fine by me. Anything to get my foot through the door, I was wrapped, you know. So I thought I made it at that point. Um, I didn't get a call up again until 2017. So from 2014, you know, I was just grinding away, grinding away. Um, so I'm, ga- I'm guessing it was a bad decision, right? What's that? The your your uh, judging debut. Ju- that's actually, why you, that's why you never got the call back absolute, for another three years. Absolute, <laughs> absolutely not. No fight went to the scorecards that night. <laughs> it was one of oh, well, the, one well of the, that's one of the, the case. Then they were like, you know what? We don't even need him. We don't need judges. <laughs> that's right. So um, yeah. So from 2014 to 2017, I still had had a dream um, to to obviously to referee in the UFC. Um, what and I, I dream about it weekly. You know, obviously we've got what's that? What's that song? Bubba O'Reilly, the um, the intro song. I play that when I'm working out over and over again, and I just dream and, and envision myself in that cage, refereeing that refereeing the UFC one day. And um, in 2017, uh, UFC came to Sydney again, got the call up, um, and yeah, that was a, that was a dream come true. Just to step in that cage with those you know professional athletes at the highest level in the world was um, was something else. So. Um, then I worked uh, Adelaide 2018 um, and the world record show in 2019 in Melbourne. That was my first pay-per-view, so that was a big highlight in my career. See, and I, and I was going to uh, – well, first, when you when you started going on where you started your refing career, I was going to say, yeah, you lost your fight. You probably thought it was the refers, uh, the refs, <laughs> the refs' <laughs> fault, and you're like, how do I fix this? And you're like, I'm going to become a ref, right? <laughs> no, I've actually <laughs> never played a referee in any of my fights. Um, but, like – on that, um, you say you wanted to become a good ref and there wasn't many out there. Um, in your eyes, what what are the qualities, I guess, in in your opinion, that makes a good ref? It's this it's this sixth sense I can't even describe. It's knowing when to stop the fight, when you know, um, at that right time. Communication with the fighters is important, especially when someone's getting hurt. Um Submission awareness, knowing where to, where where the submission is, where to look at the arm if they're tapping, um, what's getting cranked, um, signals to look for. Um, there are, there are many. Yeah, being an MMA, I, I referee kickboxing as well, K one Muay Thai, and being an MMA referee is a lot harder. There's just so many things to look out for. Eye pokes, obviously groin strikes, head clashes. We know about the groin strikes. <laughs> we sure do. And we're going to talk about that in a second. <laughs> but, um, yeah, there's just so much to look out for. Um, being an MMA referee is a lot tougher and it's definitely not for everyone. And when, when, when you say knowing the right time to, to stop a fight, um, you know, like there's been a few cases recently. Um, a couple of weeks back we, we had this whole, which is now highly publicised, this whole Dan Hardy, Herb Dean... Um, you know, fiasco. Um, I, I, I don't think the question is whether it was stopped late or not. I think, you know, um, watching the replays, I, I'll say that it probably should have stopped, been stopped. Um, but I, I also granted, I, I say, well, you know, in the heat of the moment, it's not like the ref has replays to go off and stuff. So it's easy to say, you know, after the fact to go, well, I think that was a late stoppage or whatever. But... Um, obviously, at the time, Herb kept it going for for whatever reason. Um, do you, 
I do agree that it was late, I guess, in a, uh, in a sense, after the fact. And two, what are your thoughts on the whole Dan Hardy, obviously, you know, screaming at the top of his lungs? And I guess, look, it wouldn't have made such a difference if it was a, a full stadium because you probably wouldn't have heard him. But being in the in the landscape that we are at the moment with no audience and stuff, it's, it's, it's obviously very loud. Um, and then av- afterwards, obviously, they've had a back and forth where they've both jumped on their socials and tried to tell their side of the story and, and stuff like that. But what was your take on that whole fiasco? I like both guys. I've worked with them both. Um, they're both great guys. Uh, first of all, Herbie was one of the ref- best referees on the planet. Um, well, they call him the gold standard, right? So he, he is like what people look look uh, forward to and, 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 you know, if you were going to go try to be a ref most people will point in his direction and go, that's who you should be kind of like studying, I guess. Absolutely. Um, and if, any of my UFC fights, if I've ever looked for advice, I've gone to Herb and um, he's provided phenomenal feedback. So um, I love the guy as a referee, as a, as a person. He's, 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 he's great. And one thing people don't understand is they can't see a, a fighter's eyes on camera. Herb can. He's a great communicator. Um, I'm sure he was talking to, to the fighter that got hit. Um, he went up, he went around, gave him every obviously every chance to uh, defend himself. He saw his hands being stuck in the air. Um, I haven't replayed it too many times to be honest with you, but um, from what I saw, uh, I can't I can't talk bad about her. But I think he's, he made a great call. Um, Dan yelling out like that, yeah, I can understand you. You know, you're he's a former fighter. Um, he's a passionate guy. He yelled out. Um, they had a few words. He got publicised. Um, but um, I don't think it was right of Dan to yell out like that. Um, it should be attended to a lot more professionally. And it always is. There's always a green room talk at the end of the, end of the fight and, and decisions are, are discussed. Um, I guess what it is is, as you said, he's a very passionate guy, right? And I guess when he's seeing a, um, I guess a colleague of his, because as you say, he is a former fighter, getting hurt, um, you can see that, you know, we... We're all emotional creatures at some point in our lives, and I think you know sometimes that that kind of takes over, right? Um, but yeah, it was just—I mean, look, Dana White's come out and said uh, if anyone does that again, like talk to the official or whatever, he would fire him on the spot. So yeah. I mean, Dana White's even kind of—I don't think Dan's lost his job. I think that was more a warning shot now. Yeah, sure. From from—I mean, I haven't read that Dan's lost his job, but I think uh, that was kind of like Dana White's take on it um but yeah i mean it's 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 one of the hardest things i guess and and it's i mean a tough look, job look i mean even looking back and at and it's a thankless job yeah um but looking back on it like even some of the the i don't even know how to say this one now um because we're all human right and as i say hindsight's a beautiful thing and we all make mistakes sometimes has there ever been a moment, even like in your first original fights coming up, where, you know, I'm not saying you made a bad call, but that you like look back on it sometimes and go, I could have let that go a little longer. Or I should have stopped that one or two shots beforehand. Like, have you ever had those moments like within yourself? All the time. I'm a, I'm a toughest critic. Toughest critic. Um, I want to be the best the best at whatever I do. So even, even being a referee, um, I don't want to make any bad calls. So... I question myself all the time. Um, yeah, it just happens. It's just, it's a thankless job. But um, yeah, it's um, it's a tough one. I, I look at that all the time, and sometimes I look at the replay. And I'm like, did a great job. 
what the hell's the what was I worried about? Why was I doubting myself? Um, but yeah, it ha- happens often. And and with with riffing, um, I want to ask you as well. Like you know, last week I had Jamie Malarkey on, and he was talking about this whole you know uh, when you fight a champion you've got to beat the champion to be the champion um, where, uh, as I was kind of saying to him, well, no, really, it should just be a clean slate. You're mm-hmm. both fighting for that belt. Um, as a ref, do you ref fights a little differently depending on the magnitude of that fight? I like, and, and I say that, like, for instance, the last Dominic Cruz fight or whatever where people like, you know, it was two seconds from the bell he was getting up, like they should have let that go because a title's on the line. Like, so my question to you is like, you know, because I know you've also refed amateurs and I know that's totally different, um, but we'll get to that as well because when we get to, say, my fight, I, I thought you did a brilliant job and I think that a lot of the refs that I see on the amateur circuit, that would have been that fight might have been called a long time before it actually before you called it in a sense, right? And it would have robbed me of obviously what eventuated. But do you ever like, yeah? So if there's like a title on the line, or say it's a UFC fight compared to say a uh, a national fight, um, do you judge uh, not judge it? Do you ref it a little differently? depending on the stage and the magnitude. Um, as I say, like, you know, if it's a title fight, you'll allow a few more shots before you call the fight or are you like, no, a fight is a fight and you judge it one way and one way only? Uh, it comes down to communication at the end of the day. Um, before anyone fights, um, we, if I was to referee a fighter, I'd go backstage and, I was, and I'm to tell them if you're if they're ever in a bad spot and the opportunity presents itself, they'll hear a call and that call is fight back. As long as you're fighting back, as long as you're defending yourself, I'll let that fight continue. If you're just covering up, um, if you're showing me that you want to get out, if you're turning your back, for example, um, and I can see that there's been damage inflicted, I have every right to jump in there and stop that fight. And that goes for every fight, no matter no matter yeah what the fight is. Um, amateurs sometimes cannot take strikes as much as, as well as professionals. So you have to be a little bit more cautious as a referee when you're refereeing amateurs. Um, but generally that's a criteria so as long as you're fighting back as long as you're defending yourself that fight's going to continue um, and we it doesn't matter if there's a, a second two left on the clock um, our job is to, uh, is there for fighter safety it's uh, it's to protect the fighter so um, if we see that you're you're in danger and you're you're hurt and you cannot continue we'll stop that fight and um, when it comes to also point deductions mm-hmm. How how do you what what is your take on that? Because sometimes you know, like you'll see uh, an eye poke, and they'll get a warning, and the second time around, whoever it is might deduct a point. Um, where other fights, you'll see maybe two or three warnings before. Like how? What's your mentality on it? Like um, when when deducting a point or not? Because I I also find a lot of the time that as I say, there's no clear rule. Like I, I I sometimes think it would be better if it was like you get one warning, the next one's a point. But sometimes, as I say, like because it is on the uh, ref's discretion. Um, what are you looking for when it comes to Deducting points. That's that's where refereeing MMA becomes a little bit more challenging. Um, there are so many factors to be put in play. The severity of the of the foul. You know, how much? How did the groin strike, for example? How 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 hard was the strike? Was it intentional? Was it um, was it accidental? 
did it just touch him with the toes? You know, did it hit him hard? Um, many factors go into that, go into play. Uh, grabbing the cage, you know, I think I like to be pretty pretty strict on grabbing the cage, and um, I've learned that with experience. Um, and and it's all about communication, like I said before, talking to the fighters um, before and, and and telling them what you will and will not tolerate, um, and obviously listing the fouls and and then and going from there. It's a it's a hard one. You you have every every situation is different, so. There's no clear-cut answer, unfortunately, Stinger. As I said, it worked out for me. So, um, yeah, I, I, I guess let, let's just bring up my fight real quick. Um, what was your um, kind of your thoughts throughout that fight? Because I'm the first to admit that fight wasn't going really, really well for me. It wasn't. And when when I look at, like, as I say, the, the, the amateurs now... Um, a lot of those fights get called really quickly. They really do. But you allowed it to continue on. Um, and even though I, I don't... Like, it wasn't like a 50-50 thing, right? Like, he, he came out strong and, and he he kept going. Like, so, during that, that fight, what was your your kind of thought process? Was it crossing your mind that you were going to call that fight? Like, it, was, it was actually your intro that made me allow that fight to continue a little bit longer than what it should have. No, I'm just kidding. For those of you that don't know... Um, that was a, uh, a Winter Warrior fight, and it was probably the, the best series um, I've, I've I've refereed, and um, and a lot of a lot a lot of that comes to do with the introduction. So before you guys fought, and I remember your intro- your, your your introduction was the only one I remember, um, and your your face went on screen, and basically um, you've got all these normal people training for six months, and and they come in and they have a cage fight, um, and everyone's got a story. And your face went on camera, and I remember you saying, "You're always telling people to pursue their goals and dreams, um, but sometimes you got caught up a little bit, and you never pursued yours." And then you came out, and I, I'll, I'll never forget that. And you came out, obviously, you walked in, you started your fight, and you were getting bashed. <laughs> you were getting bashed. Not you, you. You're still in the fight. You know, you're turning your back a lot, and um, normal behavior. Normal behavior when you haven't been training for too long, um, and you keep getting hit with strikes, and then you got. Hit in the groin, I believe twice. Yep. Um, gave you a bit of time, a little bit of a breather. Um, your opponent got warned twice. Um, it was accidental, which is why he didn't get a point deduction. I believe did he get a point deduction? No, he didn't. He didn't. But it didn't matter anyway. <laughs> he, he got. He didn't get a point deduction. But if it, regardless, if it happened a third time, um, there would have been a point deduction, regardless, regardless of it being accidental. Um, and then you came out and you pulled an anaconda choke out of nowhere. You know, and um, it was one of the biggest upsets that uh, that I've refereed. Um, and you can see it in the photo um, when you get your hand raised. I don't think I've ever pulled a smile. I've pulled a smile off as a referee. I'm very, um, yeah, very, what's the word? Uh, I, can't remember, I can't think of the you word You take right your now. business seriously. I, I like do take my business seriously. You know, I don't favour any fighter um, when I referee. It's, a, it's an even playing ground when I'm in there. Um, so, but... But I couldn't help myself when you got your hand raised. You know, I um, had a big smile on my face, and um, yeah, it was a it was a, it was a cool fight. But um, you're always, you're you, even though you're getting beaten up, you're always in it. And I was communicating, I was saying fight back, and you were. So let that fight continue, and you got your hand raised in the end. I mean, for me, to, to looking back on it, and beforehand, I'll just say like it was more a shock thing for me, right? Yep. Um, because you know, being that it was our first fight, I just honestly thought, you know, we'd touch gloves and we'd do the whole little dance thing, right? And Obviously, he had different intentions, and 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 he just caught me off guard because it was the last thing I expected. Because like we had both spoken about it, yep, yeah, we're going to touch gloves. So I just thought 
okay, we're going to do this little dance thing, right? Um, and so when he hit me with that first shot, it, my, my head started to ring. And, and, and before I could realise where I was, obviously he had landed a couple more. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was more a shock thing. Just because that's not when, when they say you you envision your fight, you know, and like leading up to that fight, like I I, I ran it over my head a million times, and like if it goes to the ground, this is how it's going to happen. If it goes here, da, 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 da. but out of the million times that I envisioned it, never had I thought he's just going to come out and punch me straight in the face. Like I just didn't think that, and I think it just really caught me off guard. Um, but going on to obviously being professional about the whole refing refing side of things as well yeah. o- over time. Uh, especially with the amount of refing you do on multiple circuits, you obviously form relationships with with fighters. I mean, you know, it, you can't say you can't. I mean, when you're around them that often, you automatically do. How do you go about, you know, having these relationships over time? I guess, and but then still, if you ever get assigned to one of their fights to go, listen, you're on your own. You know, it is strictly business. Um, yeah, how 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 do you how do you a find that? Is it difficult to do, and how do you go about it? It is. It's um, the MMA community is a small one. Um, there's always going to be some sort of connection with someone. Um, so you try to mingle as as little as often, you know, with, with fighters. If there's anyone you are too close with, um, you shouldn't referee him. It's going to be a conf- conflict of interest, um, and you shouldn't be judging or re- or refereeing that fighter. And right. has it has it on that? Has there been a moment where, like, say, you've been assigned? whether it be on a local or UFC card and you've said to the promoter or to the commission, listen, uh, switch me out, like this one's not one for me. Yeah, has, has there been that? Absolutely. It hasn't happened too often, but it has. Yeah, absolutely. You don't feel, you won't, you just got to be honest with yourself. Do you feel comfortable referring that fighter? No, then don't do it. And and the, they obviously respect that, right? That, that you are being honest about that. Absolutely. Um, um, and also like, let, let's go back to uh, your come up. Um, you've had what I would consider the Australian version of Herb Dean in in in, in your back pocket. Shout outs to Sharpie, right? Uh, I mean, he he played a bit of a a mentor role for you. Oh, absolutely, well, right? Absolutely. Um, how how was it? Kind of, um, you know, uh, progressing. Uh, I'm not going to say under his wing, but kind of right. Like mm. he he did take you under his wing and and show you the path. Like how how. How is it having John Sharp in your corner? Oh, it's great. I don't think I would have made it without him, to be honest with you. Um, even though he claims that I always would have. Um, he's very humble. Um, I honestly don't. Um, Sharpie and I connected in 2015 on the brace circuit. Um, and we refed God, every every show, to, a lot, many, many, many shows on the, on the local circuit together. Um, and having having him side by side um, really helped, really helped me. Um, it really helped my confidence as a referee and... Um, and and yeah, it's it's just some, that's one thing about all this pandemic that I miss the most. Haven't been able to ref ref side by side for a while. Um, the last show we did together was UFC Melbourne in October, and um, hopefully we can do one very soon. But um, yeah, having someone like him side by side, it's it's having a mentor, you know, and having one of the best in the games mentor you. Um, and I'll forever cherish that. And I'll see him tonight, actually. So nice one. <laughs> Tell him I said hello. I will. Um, now. Yeah, so with with him kind of um, mentoring you as well, um, what is some of the 
best advice he has given you? Like, obviously, you said that he's always said, um, you know, you'd make it on your own. But has there been any sort of like advice that he's like given to you over time that's just really stuck? Just be confident. Always back your decision. Um, I'd say that's that. That'd be the one that stands out most to mine. Yeah, and with with that, have you ever had problems? Um, I guess listening to and, and I guess this is going back to the Dan Hardy thing. Obviously, you haven't been in that situation where it's been an empty arena. But have you ever listened to outside noise? I, and what I mean by that is, you know, you go to some of these events and you start hearing the crowd boo or, or, or whatever. That, and look, I ask the fighters the same thing. Like, does that sometimes like can fighters hear that? And you know, does that make them want to push the action more? Like, for instance, when you hear the crowd booing or whatever, like, are you is that kind of like affecting you in any way? Like, are you then trying to tell the fighters, like, listen, we need more action, or do you block all of that out? Absolutely not. You have to block all of that out. You're gonna hear you're, you're gonna hear the crowd boo. You're gonna hear the crowd tell you to stand them up, to break them off the cage, um, take a point off. You're gonna hear them say whatever they want, depending on who they're cheering for, really, and, and what they want to see. Um, you have to block the crowd out completely um, and make the decision uh, based on what's going on in that fight at that at that present time. Now, another thing where I want to compare you to, I guess, fighters is have you ever got nervous before an event? And, 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 and what I mean by that is like, you know, obviously you've done the small circuits and mm. it's in front of, you know, a venue that maybe have two, three, four hundred people. Um, you've now refereed on a pay-per-view yeah. on the largest crowd attendance ever. Um, you've done title fights before. You you've done amateur fights before. So you you've done, you know you've you've pretty much done whatever you can in in the sport. Um, have you ever got like ha- have you ever been like Absolutely. as I say like fighters back in the in the locker room and they're like all right I've got a title on the line. What like I, and I assume the nerves would have probably been the Melbourne card last year. Surprisingly, not. No. No. Okay, so <laughs> let, let, let's go into it. Have you ever been nervous? When have you been nervous? Yes. What is what is the reasoning behind that? When I first started refereeing in the cage mainly or kickboxing in the ring um, when I first began and um, got thrown in the deep end a little bit. Um, and that was fine. Recovered from that pretty quickly. Um, didn't feel many nerves after that for, for many years. And then UFC Sydney came along in 2017. It was, my, it was my debut. And it was like I've never refereed a fight before. And and I had refereed well over 500 fights prior to that show. Stepping in that cage, um, I was shivering. I was shaking. Um, obviously, I've fought before. It's not the same. Fighting, I believe there's, there's more nerves involved in fighting. Um, but yeah, UFC Sydney was just like I'd never step in that cage before. And um, after the first white fight passed, it became easier. I had another two that night, but um, yeah, I was uh, I was petrified. Um, UFC Adelaide, UFC Melbourne, not so much. I'd, I'd done it before. I knew what to expect. Uh, mental preparation came with that. Um, sort of seeing yourself in that arena and hearing the crowd, and once you've done that mentally quite a few times before that, um. When it actually happens, you you're a lot more calm and yeah, not not as nervous. But UFC Sydney 2017, boy, oh boy, <laughs> that was something else. And when we talk about uh, uh, fighters visualizing the thing, now we'll go to your little eye wink or whatever, <laughs> right? So so leading up to these events and 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 you're kind of like, okay, I'm going to be on TV. 
um, obviously you have your makeup artists in, in the back pocket, so I know you're good there. But like, we actually don't get our makeup applied as referees. <laughs> We should probably start, maybe. Uh, no, I, I'm pretty sure with your, as I say, with your modelling contracts, you 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 bring someone along That's anyway. A big summer, yeah. um, but uh, like you know, and everyone's got their thing, whether it's the little heart logo or whatever. Like, um, did you visualise that, or was it a spare of the moment thing, or like? No, no, it was actually um, a few. I, I train a lot of kids, um, and a few of our. our, our his name's Adam. He was he still trains with us. He was I think nine, nine at the time. Huge UFC fan, and um, he obviously found out that I was making my UFC refing debut. And I said, "Look out for ca- on the camera. I'm going to give you a wink." Um, and that's where that began. So every time I get my name called out, little wink, and off we go. And how does it feel? And who's called out your name? Has has Bruce Buffer called out you? Yeah, twice. Yeah. Twice. Adelaide and, and Melbourne. Yeah, that was and, cool. And 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 how does it? How does it feel to, to have your name called out like that? Yeah, I mean, obviously being a fan when I was younger, um, having Bruce call out your name was um, was was pretty surreal. Um, but then, you know, as soon as he calls out your name, you've got a job to do. So you've got to block it out and time to get serious. And when you talk about um, talking to the fighters during the fight, I mean, obviously you have your locker room talks, but during the fight, has there ever been like a response that you can like, remember whether it be quirky whether it be funny whether like you know what i mean like because sometimes like i mean sometimes you even see it on 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 the telecast or whatever and you'll just and you know it makes me laugh like what certain fighters do whether it's hand gestures or whatever and um but has there ever been a moment that you can remember where you've like said something to them and they've said something back and you've like had to keep it in because you know goodness i'm trying to think there probably has there probably has. There's always there's always a smart ass somewhere in the room. Um, I've had yeah yeah I have actually. Um, here, here we go. So so I'll give them that little spill of you know I'll tell them to fight back and as long as they do so I'll let that fight continue. And if not, I've got every right to step in there and stop that fight. And I've turned around just said just let me die. <laughs> you know just let me die. Just let me whatever happens. Just let me die in that cage. Uh, I didn't really know how to respond respond to that, but. Um, Obviously, that wasn't going to happen, but um, yeah, I think that was one of the one of the craziest sort of responses I've gotten. And do you remember what fighter that was? I don't know if I'm going to mention their name. <laughs> right, fair play, fair play. Um, so, I mean, we're going to start to wrap it up pretty shortly now anyway. Awesome. Um, I guess what I wanted to ask you is like, what are some of your career highlights? And this is going coaching, ref, fighter, um, modeling, uh, <laughs> not yet. Um, but yeah, what are what are what are some of the things that you're most proud of? I, I, even opening the academy, whatever yeah. it may be. What 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 are some of the yeah? As I say, the things that you are most proud of. Lose, losing thirty five kilos was, was was huge for me. I never thought it was possible. Um, so doing that was 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 huge. Um, I fought a four man eliminator um, in Muay Thai. So fighting twice in one night. Um, yeah, that's no shin pads, no headgear. Um, that was tough. That was that was tough on the body. That was early on. Opening the academy up at um, at the age of twenty five was huge. Um, seeing where the academy has has come to to this day, um, it's it's yeah. It's like I said. It's not it's not what I do. It's who I am. Um, so that's a huge highlight for me. And and as far as reference concerned, yeah, starting from the bottom and and then refing a um, 
a world record crowd in the UFC Melbourne last year was um, was definitely a highlight. So many things to be grateful for, but uh, also many things to look forward to. So started from the bottom, now we're here. That's right, and we've we've only just begun. And going back to your academy too, I mean, you 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 have some you know young guns in there. Yeah. Um, who are some of the people we should be looking out for? Uh, shout out to Ibi and Tyson. Um, they really push each other in training. Um, they've uh, they've definitely got a bright future. Um, but but many of them many of them do. You know, Andrew Khalil. Um, yeah, the, this, Amir trains hard every day. I Amir's one of our one of our young fighters that um, had a taekwondo background and. God, he's coming to sparring and get beaten up for a year and a half straight, you know, and just always, always rock up the training. Just keep turning up, keep turning up. And now uh, he's had uh, two fights, two wins, and um, he's going strong. So, um, Is that kickboxing or is kickboxing, he doing MMA? Kickboxing, K1, yeah. So. All right. And um, this will be the last one from me. Um, when you go through customs, this is obviously when, when the borders are open and stuff and you have to fill out your little... Um, you know, card. When it says occupation, <laughs> what do you do? What do I write? Huh? Like, are you a ref? Are you a coach? Are you, you know, like, what, what or, or do you change it on a on a trip to trip basis? Like, when when I say like, yeah, if I was to say, what is your occupation? I just want to know, like, I guess which one takes priority in a sense. I say business owner. So I say that, number one, you don't want to raise any flags. So I don't know, putting kickbox or a fighter on there, <laughs> even when I was younger. Um, didn't want to kind of do that. No, business owner, for sure. The Australian Kickboxing Academy is, uh, is where my where my heart's at. Refereeing, I'm also very passionate about. Um, they're, they're, I'm very fortunate to have two jobs that I love to do very, very much. I'm forever grateful for them. And, um, but yeah, definitely business owner. No, and the reason I ask is... Um was it last week or the week before? No, last week was Jamie. The week before I had Tiago on and, and he said he always has the problem because obviously when he fills it out, he's like uh, BJJ professor. Oh, yes. And like he says a lot of the times they're like, yeah, but what do you do? Like because they don't really see that as a career, right? Like a lot of people from the outside are like, yeah, okay, that's your hobby. So what is it that you actually do? And um, that that's why I asked. Like, I, I just wanted to know, like, you know, if you did put ref or whatever. Like, if people look at you in a in an odd kind of way. Um, but look, we'll we'll wrap it on, uh, up unless you've got something that you you kind of want to talk about. Um, no, or, that's or pretty much up. it, Stinger. Yeah, it's been it's been absolute absolute pleasure. Yeah, and look, I I hope that uh, once things go back to normal and you know once you get your next fight assignment and and or one of your your guys are fighting out of your academy, I definitely want to have you on. You know, in 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 the future. Sounds great. Um, cool. But look, for, for people that uh, want to get in touch with you, whether it is a promotion wanting to get in touch with you to, to ref on one of their cards, as, as I said, you're pretty much on top of it in the national circuit, but Bellator, 1FC, hey. <laughs> um, or, or if people want to give kickboxing a try, like where, where are you situated? How, how can they you know, approach you about that? Like what, what are the best avenues for people to, to get in touch with you? Yeah, send us a DM on Facebook or Instagram. Um, Facebook, Australian Kickboxing Academy. Instagram, australian.kickboxing.academy. Um, go on our website, www.akaoz.com.au. Um, and for any fire promotions that want to get in contact, contact with me, Jim Perdios on Facebook, uh, Jimmy Kickbox on Instagram. And, um, yeah, I'll definitely be in touch. And I will just have to quickly say, what about modelling? <laughs> have, you, have you got an agent? 
if we go in lockdown again, I'll consider it. <laughs> and you will definitely be my agent. Well, there you have it. It looks like I'm going from podcasting to, to, to model agent. I'll take it. I'll take it. But I, I, I really do appreciate the time. Um, I always, you know, really respect when people take the time to, to travel in. And, uh, and especially with these kind of conditions at the moment, everyone's like kind of scared to like move around a lot. But I do appreciate the time. I do want to have you back on in the future. But until then, we are out. I'm away. I'm away. Why?